Thank you for listening to the Grace Church of Mabton podcast. This week's sermon by Pastor Adam Copenhaver covers Ruth 3 and 4. Thanks for listening. Well, thank you to Cole for reading what is a long text, a long passage, but also such a fascinating story, isn't it? Uh, here in the book of Ruth. Today is our third and final sermon in the book of Ruth. And so for those of you who have been here the last couple weeks, here's, here's your quiz. Each sermon we've had a theme that comes to us from the book of Ruth. What was our first theme from two weeks ago? Providence, the Lord's providence. And then last week was kindness. And then today is redemption. Providence, kindness, and redemption. So two weeks ago we talked about providence which we see throughout the book of Ruth, but it came to us in chapter one, so we talked about it there. Providence refers to God's invisible hand, if you remember, how God is at work behind the scenes, directing and guiding everything that happens in our lives and in the world, that's his providence. And then we talked about from chapter one also that if we understand God's providence and nothing more than his providence, then when we have hardship in our life, we'll be bitter against him because we see just that he has, in his providence, brought hardship. We won't see the rest of what he's at work doing. And the rest of the story we started talking about last week, which is his kindness, that second theme, kindness. And we talked last week about that very important Hebrew word, hesed, if you remember that from last week, hesed, which is a word that comes up throughout the book of Ruth, translated kindness in our translation, it points to God's loyalty his faithfulness to us as his people, how in his faithfulness he loves us and has mercy to, upon us, and he helps us in our need. And you put all that together, his faithfulness, loyalty, love, mercy, his help, put it all together and you have his hesed, what's translated his kindness. And now today we're talking about redemption, how in his providence and in his kindness, when they come together, God is at work in our lives and in our world, redeeming us, redeeming us. And so in this text, we're going to see how Boaz redeems Ruth and the redemption that takes place here in this story, but then we're also going to see how it broadens out and there's a much bigger redemption at work that even they can't see. So here's our outline for today. This is in your bulletin if you want to take notes as well. First, we're going to see Ruth pursue Boaz and we'll see how she turns up the romance on Boaz. Second, we have Boaz redeeming Ruth, and so we'll see how he rescues her, purchases her back, and restores her. And third, in the end, we'll see how all of this ultimately points us to the Lord's redemption. So first, Ruth pursues Boaz, and here we're thinking about all of chapter three, what happens in this part of the story. So if you remember the background of the story from chapters one and two, In chapter one, Naomi and her husband and two sons had moved from Bethlehem to the foreign land of Moab because of a famine. They were hungry and desperate. They moved looking for food. In the land of Moab, her two sons got married, but then tragedy came along when her husband and both sons died. And so Naomi was left with two daughters-in-law in chapter one. And when it's time for Naomi to move back to Bethlehem, one of those daughters-in-law moves back with her, which is Ruth, the Moabite. So Naomi and Ruth moved back to Bethlehem. In chapter two, we saw in this story last week, when they arrived in Bethlehem, Ruth went out looking for work. 
She goes out to the fields to find a field to glean in, and she just happens to come upon the field of a man named Boaz. And Boaz is a distant relative of hers, of her husband's, her dead husband's, and Boaz shows great kindness to Ruth, we saw last week. He supplies her with lots of grain and makes sure that she's protected out in the fields while she's working. Well, now we come to chapter 3. And if you remember at the end of chapter 2 in verse 20, Naomi made a comment in verse 20 that hinted about some potential in Boaz when she said in chapter 2, verse 20, that this man, referring to Boaz, is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. That was the little teaser at the end of chapter 2. Now we come to chapter 3, we see this idea of redemption starting to play out. And this takes us back into Israelite culture. And there will be a few cultural type things that happen in this story today. And in Israelite culture at that time, they had what we call kinsman redeemers. I don't know if you've heard of this before, a kinsman redeemer. The kinsman's like a relative, somebody who's related, who redeems someone, kinsman redeemer. The idea was that when a person died in ancient Israel, especially a young person, a relative, a kinsman, would step in and basically operate on that dead person's behalf to take charge of their affairs, to try to make things right, and keep this person's memory and their situation alive. So if a person, especially a young man, died, then they would go down the line looking for a relative who is able and willing to serve as a redeemer, a kinsman redeemer. They'd start with the closest relatives, like brothers, and then kind of move down the line to uncles, nephews, cousins, and so on, until someone was able and willing to be the kinsman redeemer. And depending on the situation, the kinsman redeemer might buy back lost property. They might buy back lost relatives if, they've had to sold, if they had to sell themselves into slavery to pay debts. He might pay off other debts. He would take care of their dependents, take in their wives as his wife, and so on. So when Ruth showed up in chapter 2, when she showed up in Boaz's field... She just happened to show up in the field of one of her redeemers, somebody in the line of redemption for her and for Naomi, now that their husbands have died. So we get to the end of chapter 2. The last verse of chapter 2, Ruth has been working in the field of Boaz. Boaz had told her, stay in my field, work here, I'll keep you safe. So she works through the entire barley and wheat harvest for Boaz in the end of chapter 2. This would have been about seven weeks of harvest in ancient Israel, where Ruth is working in this field. But the end of chapter 2, verse 23, the very last line there makes it clear, by the time this whole harvest is done, Ruth is still living with her mother-in-law, Naomi. The implication being, Boaz has not made his move yet. He's almost like a typical man, kind of naive. He's focused on his work, kind of unaware of the female floating around in his field. And so in chapter 3 now, this brings us up to our text today. In chapter 3, Naomi decides it's time for Ruth to take the initiative. I'm not going to wait around on Boaz anymore. And so Naomi gives Ruth instructions in the first few verses of chapter 3. Clean yourself up, put on some nice perfume, head down to the threshing floor. This is where she knows Boaz will be. 
They're hard at work at the threshing floor, processing all the grain they brought in during the harvest. A farmer like Boaz would have been working long hours during this season of harvest and often would have slept at the threshing floor to guard the crop from thieves. So Ruth waits until Boaz has had a big dinner and drinks. He's happy, he's tired, he's worked hard all day. He falls asleep on the barley. And then Ruth does something that's very weird. She approaches where he is sleeping, and she uncovers his feet and lays down at his feet. Eventually, he wakes up, perhaps because his feet are cold, and he realizes there's a woman sleeping at his feet. And so in verse 9, he asks, who are you? And she answers, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now, what Ruth does here is very strange to us. We don't really know what parallels there might even be in the ancient world for this form of approaching a man. But apparently, it was not strange to them because Boaz knows what Ruth is doing. He knows that through these actions, Ruth is requesting for him to be a kinsman redeemer for her. Spread your wings over me, she says, which is a picture of, of being a refuge for her, like a mother chick gathering her wing, her, or a mother bird gathering her chicks under her wings to protect them. This is what Ruth had done when, what Boaz says Ruth had done when, he, when she trusted in the Lord as her refuge. Boaz had said in chapter 2 that, that Ruth had put herself under the wings of the Lord. Now Ruth comes to Boaz and says, spread your wings over me. Be my kinsman redeemer. Rescue me. Protect me. Support me. So my family line, the family line of my husband will be preserved. Well, Boaz responds to this request in verse 10. By blessing Ruth because of the extraordinary kindness she has shown to him. Here's this word hesed again, kindness, now applied to Ruth, that Ruth has shown hesed. She's shown this loyalty, this love. When she returned with Naomi to Bethlehem, that was her first demonstration of hesed, of loyalty and love to her family, to her mother-in-law. Now she shows hesed again when she seeks out a kinsman redeemer for her next husband, rather than going off chasing one of the young men. And so Boaz blesses her, for her hesed, her kindness. And Boaz says, yes, I will redeem you. But Boaz says there's one, there's one glitch here. In verse 12, he says there's another relative who's actually ahead of Boaz in the line of redeemers. And Boaz is a man of integrity. He wants things done in the proper order. And so this other redeemer needs to be given first chance to redeem Ruth and the inheritance. And then Boaz says, if he's not able or willing, I'm next in line, and I'll do it. Well, morning comes, Ruth is about to head home, and Boaz sends her home, the text says, with six measures of barley. This is probably about 80 or 90 pounds of barley, about the amount that somebody like Ruth probably could have carried, about the, the biggest amount she could have carried. So when Ruth gets home carrying all this barley... And Naomi wants to know, how did it go? Naomi already has the answer. Look at all the barley he sent home with her. Okay, so if we stopped here, we could have some good dating advice, right? 
So guys, how do you know when a girl likes you? When she uncovers your feet. There it is. That's the sign. And girls, how do you know when a guy likes you? When he fills your cloak with barley. Okay, then you know. Okay, there you go. It's good dating advice right here. Well, that brings us to chapter four. And to our second point, where Boaz now redeems Ruth. Boaz redeems Ruth, chapter four. So in verse one, Boaz goes to the gate of the city of Bethlehem, where everyone's coming and going in and out of the city. And he waits for this other potential redeemer to come along. And when he comes along, Boaz calls him aside, and he gathers 10 elders from the town. These elders were older men in the city who had some kind of official position, authority to oversee administrative kinds of things, be judges in certain situations. So he gathers these 10 elders, this other redeemer, and he says, okay, here's the situation we need to work out. At first, in verses 3 and 4, Boaz only mentions the land. Naomi's selling the land that belonged to Elimelech. And land ownership in ancient Israel is a very big deal. In their way of thinking, the way the land, the promised land had come to them, all of the land belonged to the Lord. And the Lord had divided the land and entrusted it to tribes and families as their inheritance. And so the land belonged to each family, their parcel of land belonged to each family forever. You would only sell the land as an absolute last resort of utter desperation. And this is probably why, if you think about this, probably why Naomi still owns land, even after all of these years of being in poverty and moving around and suffering through famine, and yet still she owns the land. But now that it's time to sell the land, a redeemer would have the first chance to buy the land with the expectation that as soon as Naomi or her family line is able, they will be able to purchase the land again. Or if an, another descendant is produced, then that descendant will inherit the land and so on. But the land now needs to go first to the redeemers in this order of redeemers. Who's going to be the redeemer? Who's going to purchase the land from Naomi? Well, in verse 4, this first redeemer says, he will redeem the land. I'll purchase it from Naomi. Then in verse 5, Boaz mentions Ruth. Oh, by the way, he says in verse 5, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance. Boaz is being kind of shrewd here. He's, he's stating and presenting the facts, but also he kind of knows what he's doing. He's raising the cost of this redemption to such a level that he's pretty confident this first redeemer is going to say no. He says, when you redeem this field, you're not just purchasing the field by being the kinsman redeemer. You're also going to be redeeming Ruth. That means you're going to be taking in Ruth as your wife. That means you're going to be taking in Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, as a dependent it means that when you and Ruth have a child together, the child that you have, the son, especially the son that you have, will be considered not your son, but will be considered the son of Ruth's first husband who has died. And that son will receive the inheritance belonging to Ruth's husband. This land that you buy is going to go to this son in her first husband's name. And so if you put that together, what this means is the kinsman redeemer here 
is going to be spending a lot of money and resources buying the land, taking care of Ruth and Naomi, raising the kids and providing for them all. And at the end of all of that, these years and years of expenditures and so on, all of the inheritance that comes through this family and through the land will not go to his own kids, but to their kids. So in verse 6, the first redeemer says, whoa, that's too expensive for me, too risky. It could end up bankrupting me. And instead of redeeming them, I could lose my land, my inheritance, as well as theirs. So he says, I'm out. So this is checkmate for Boaz. His plan worked. And Boaz is the man. This guy knows how to negotiate, right? Like round of applause for Boaz, right? He, he, made, this, he made this come out the way he wanted it to. And to seal the deal now, they've had this agreement, okay, you're not going to redeem them, then I'm going to redeem them. You might think that they would shake hands or that they would sign some paperwork, get a notary or something of this nature. But what they actually do is a custom that was in that day, apparently. In verse 8, the first redeemer takes off his sandal and gives it to Boaz. A way of saying, perhaps, I'm giving to you the right to walk on this piece of property. I'm giving you the ownership of this property. Okay, so remember this the next time you make a deal with someone. Okay, and they reach out their hand to shake your hand, and you just put your shoe in their hand. Okay, and say, there it is, it's official. And this is how they make it an official contract. In verse 9, then, Boaz makes the declaration. You are witnesses this day. This is verse 9. You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Malon. Those were her two sons. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I bought to be my wife. And now pay attention to what he says in the rest of verse 10 about the purpose. What's he doing through this redemption? To perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witness this day. I'm here as the kinsman redeemer, Boaz said. I'm able and willing. I'm saying yes. I will take in Ruth as my wife. I will care for their land and for their needs. And in doing this, I will be perpetuating the name of the dead and his inheritance. It's, it's a way of saying I'm going to keep alive those who have died. Elimelech and his two sons. I'm going to restore their family line, bring them out of their poverty, put them back on their feet, give them descendants and an inheritance. So in verses 11 and 12, the people, the elders who see and hear this, they bless Naomi, they bless Ruth in this new redemption. They say, may the Lord build up Naomi's house with many descendants to come through Ruth. Well, this is a beautiful story, isn't it? Just a beautiful story of Boaz and Ruth and Naomi, of how something good now seems to be coming out of all the tragedy and all the hardship they've endured. And if the story more or less ended here, we would have still a beautiful story in our Bible, but there's more still to the story. And the next section of chapter 4 points us to something much bigger and broader, a bigger redemption that is taking place, even than what Boaz is undertaking, a redemption that's the work of the Lord. 
Because this takes us to our third point now, the Lord's redemption. The Lord's redemption. In verse 13 of chapter 4, Boaz marries Ruth. They consummate the marriage. If you remember, Ruth had been married to her first husband for 10 years, and they never had a baby. They'd had fertility problems for 10 years of marriage. But verse 13 says that with Boaz now, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Now, notice the language there, verse 13. The Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Now, here's a little project for you. If you go back and you read through the entire book of Ruth very carefully, you'll notice that this is the only time in the entire book of Ruth where the author, the narrator who's telling the story, writing it down, where he mentions God directly. If you read the story carefully, you'll find various places where the people in the story are speaking, and they'll mention the Lord and the work of the Lord, but the narrator himself never says, and then the Lord did this, and then the Lord said that. He's just telling the story of ordinary human events, so to speak, and what people are saying and thinking. This is the only time that he says directly, the Lord did this. That's why we say in the book of Ruth, the work of the Lord is more subtle. That's why we talked about his providence. Remember, his invisible hand, God behind the scenes directing. But now here's one verse, one statement, the Lord gave her conception. And from this point forward, through the rest of these last verses in the book of Ruth, Boaz disappears out of view. It's as if he no longer is around. And now it's less about what Boaz has done or is doing in redeeming, and it's more about what the Lord is doing, about his intervention in his kindness and providence. He gave to Ruth a son. The Lord gave her conception. So in verse 14, when the women of Bethlehem get all chatty about the new baby to come, notice who they give credit to. Blessed be the Lord, they say to Naomi, who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Sorry, Boaz, no credit for you. For all the sacrifices you've made, all the costs you've paid, it's the Lord who has provided the Redeemer. It's the Lord who has blessed Naomi with Ruth and with a grandson, so that Naomi's life is now restored and she'll be cared for in her old age, and the inheritance is put back in place, and her descendants are now back in place. It's the Lord's work and to the glory of his name. And so verse 16, the story basically ends with Naomi holding this baby, her grandson, serving as his nurse. She's a full-time nanny for her grandson. The story is basically done. But then the last few verses of the book of Ruth are strange. It ends with a genealogy. Nice story, then a genealogy. And genealogies have a way of kind of showing up in Scripture in random places like this. They're 
not easy to read out loud at least. They're kind of boring to read, but they're there for a reason, and sometimes they're very important, like here. If you look at the end of verse 17, we get a short genealogy about the next three generations to come after Naomi and Ruth. It says, they named him Obed, that's the baby from Ruth, Obed. He was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David, referring to King David in the Bible. Then in verses 18 through 20, we have a longer genealogy. By the way, the, the narrator, the author of the book is saying, here's the whole scope of the genealogy. And this genealogy in verses 18 through 22 starts with Perez. And Perez was an Israelite who was regarded as basically the forefather of the Bethlehemites. Okay, so if you were from Bethlehem, this area, you would trace your ancestry back to Perez and then to the tribe of Judah. And so verses 18 through 20 take this back to Perez. Let's start with the great forefather here, Perez. And then it covers seven generations to get to Boaz. And then another three generations to King David. This genealogy is very important because it expands the scope of the entire story of the book of Ruth. Up to this point, this has been a very personal story. It's been focused in on just a few people, Naomi, Ruth, Boaz. It's covered just a little season of time in their lives, maybe 20 years or so of their lives. And so we've seen how the Lord is at work in a very personal way in their world, in their circumstances, his providence, his kindness, his redemption. But now this genealogy is almost like, like the camera is panning out. Like now we get the wide angle lens that says, you know, this, this story and what the Lord was doing, it, it's really not just about these three people in this little stretch of time. This is actually a story about generations, 10 generations in the genealogy from Perez to King David. It's telling us how it is that King David came to be born in Bethlehem, where his ancestry came from. It's explaining how it is that King David could have a Moabite in his ancestry, like Ruth. And by invoking King David like this, it's giving us the long, the long history. It's also expanding the story outward to its implications for the entire nation of Israel. This is where their king, the king of the whole nation, comes from. And so we put this together, the Lord in his providence, he is at work in the book of Ruth in the small personal details of Ruth's and Naomi's lives. But ultimately, the Lord in his providence is orchestrating a much bigger plan than they ever could have realized. The scope of the redemption the Lord is working here is not just about Ruth or Naomi and their, situ their situation. It's about providing a king for an entire nation three generations down the line. And if we step back and think about it, this is why the book of Ruth is a story worth telling in the first place. This story is being told generations after these events have already taken place. The narrator already knows that King David is going to come out of this. This is three generations later. And if you remember back in chapter 4, verse 7, the narrator had to explain the whole giving away a sandal thing to make a deal. 
and said, well, that's the way things were back in former times in Israel. This is old news. But why tell the story of Ruth? Of all the different redemptions and kinsmen redeemers that happened in ancient Israel, and there were many, what makes this one worth telling? It's because this story shows us how the Lord in his providence, in his kindness, not only works in our personal lives to redeem us here and now, but how he's also, through the redemptions he works in our lives, he's also orchestrating a grand scheme of, generation, of redemption, a grand scheme that moves across the generations from Perez through Naomi and Boaz and Ruth through King David, and then who will ultimately come out of the line of David? But Jesus himself. In Matthew chapter 1, we get another genealogy listing all the ancestors of Jesus, and guess who's in his genealogy? King David, Boaz, and Ruth. The Lord's redemption in the lives of Naomi and Ruth, it's one slice of a transcendent work of redemption that God is doing all around the world and through all generations into eternity. So that's the book of Ruth, a beautiful story with depth and richness. And I hope, I hope you'll take time to read and reread the book of Ruth, to reflect upon it, to think about all that it has to teach us. In our last few minutes today, I just want to give a few final thoughts on the book of Ruth and what it has to say to us today. There are many more lessons than these, but here are just my, my final thoughts. Many of us, I suspect most if not all of us, who are here today can relate in some way to Ruth and Naomi. You know, we live in a fallen world. We're sinful human beings living in a fallen world. And so we all experience in various ways the hardships that come with living in this fallen world. Think about the hardships Ruth and Naomi endured, hardships that some of us may enduring. Things like grief. They endured grief, losing husbands and sons and loved ones. They experienced poverty. Maybe you're experiencing poverty. They struggled to make ends meet. They weren't sure how they would pay the bills or feed themselves. They suffered injustice. They were mistreated, abused in some way. And maybe like them, you have suffered injustice and you long for there to be justice. Perhaps like them, you long to be married and there's no one to marry you. Or you long for children and descendants, but you battle infertility. These are all hardships Naomi and Ruth endured. And if we were to make a list today and go around the room and everybody tell us about all of your hardships, we would have quite the long list of things that we suffer in this world. And the book of Ruth speaks to us in our hardships, and it reminds us again that God in his providence, in his kindness, his hesed, is at work redeeming us. This is the work he is doing in our lives as we trust in him. I have a good friend who, known for many, many years, 
He went through a very hard season in his life where his dad died and his whole world went dark and fell apart. His mother became so depressed she couldn't function. His family was pushed into poverty. His siblings couldn't get along. It had enormous consequences for him. His schooling suffered as a result. He struggled to get a job. He wasn't able to pursue the education and the career that he wanted. And he could have said, and maybe he did say many times in his own way, like Naomi in chapter 1, the Lord has been bitter toward me. But as the years have slowly rolled on, it's become increasingly apparent that the Lord has been at work redeeming his life. Like Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, he wasn't just passive, sitting around and waiting for the Lord to fix things, but he actively trusted in the Lord in his hardship, as they did. He made the Lord his refuge. He sought to be a righteous man, to pray, to grow in kindness toward others, to be active in his church, doing the right things. And if you think about the book of Ruth, Ruth, Naomi, Boaz, they're always striving to do the right things before the Lord and trusting in the Lord. And slowly but surely, the Lord, this friend of mine, has brought healing to him. He still misses his dad, but the grief no longer cripples him. He's worked hard to pull himself out of poverty. He works to support his mom and to encourage her. He's made progress in healing his relationships with his siblings. He was able to graduate from school, to marry, to raise a family. And the Lord is at work in his life, redeeming him. And when you look at his life, the Lord's redemption is not a snap of the fingers. It's not a miraculous, then the Lord did this. But like the book of Ruth, the Lord is working subtly, patiently, behind the scenes, in his providence and kindness, rescuing him, restoring him, filling up his life. It's the work the Lord does in your life and in my life when we put our trust in him. And if today you don't know the Lord, this is the work he will do in your life when you trust in him and surrender your life to him. In his kindness, his hesed, he meets us right where we are. Whatever the brokenness is that we have, whatever pains we have, the hardships we're suffering, the Lord in his kindness meets us where we are and starts from here, the work of redeeming us when we trust in him. We come to him and we're like broken tennis ball machines. He cleans us up, fixes us up, gives us a new chance at life, and his redemptive work works <laughs> as well. And so that's the work that the Lord is doing and does do in our lives as he redeems us. But then the book of Ruth reminds us also that God's work of redemption is even bigger still than that. The redemption Ruth experienced, remember, just one small piece of a big redemption leading to King David and to Christ through the generations. And so we know God remains at work redeeming all of creation through Christ. And a day is coming in the future, perhaps generations down the road, when Christ will return and finish the work of redemption once and for all. We'll all be raised together with him, gathered into his kingdom. And in that day, we'll have the benefit of hindsight. 
like the narrator has here. We'll be able to look back upon all the generations that may have come after us and we'll see how God has taken your story and my story, our hardships and the redemption he worked in our life and how God has pieced all of that together into a big story of redemption. And that big story of redemption ends not with King David like the book of Ruth does, but with King Jesus. And this is why when right now in life, when you and I, when we encounter hardship, this is why we continue to trust and hope in the Lord. Because we know his providence and his kindness are working together to redeem us. That he is at work right now in our lives in a personal way, redeeming us. And it's all part of a bigger story of redemption that he is accomplishing through Christ across creation and for all eternity. And so today, let us renew our trust and our hope in the Lord. Let's walk with him in faithfulness and kindness. And may the Lord be blessed. And may his name be glorified for the redemption he's accomplishing in us. Amen. This has been a podcast from Grace Church of Mabton. For more information, visit our website at mabtongbc.org.